Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent, it costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io, and let's talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Today, I have Lindy Ledohowski, co-founder and CEO of SAJack. SAJack is an interactive web platform that pre-structures student essays with text boxes, interactive tips and prompts, split screen composing, and live word count. Today we will talk to Lindy about how she came up with the idea, how she built the MVP, and worked through the challenges during her 0 to 30,000 MRR journey. How are you today, Lindy? Thank you so much. I'm good, and wow, I'm I'm now intimidated that I'm in such uh, such no, lovely company you, with some no. of your past. No, you're in very good company. You're in <laughs> very good company. We're excited speaking with all our founders. You know, it's all the same journey, zero to thirty thousand. Doesn't matter where you're at with that, and uh, so we're very interested to hear about yours. So I gave you an intro. Why don't you just give us a quick intro about who you are sure. and um, what SA Jack does? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. I uh, began my career as a, a lifelong educator. So I have a PhD in English, postdoc in English. I was an English professor. Uh, and then my co-founder and I joined forces to really build technology to solve one of the problems that we found in our classes, which is we had smart students and capable students, um, but those students didn't necessarily know how to demonstrate um, their smarts in the written format that is kind of expected in the Anglo-American context, and that's academic writing. And so we said, okay, let's see if we can't, you know, build technology to go head to head with, you know, essay mills and, and people who will write something for you on demand. And of course, that's plagiarism and cheating. And we said, you know, we can, we can solve this problem with technology. And SA Jack was born from there. And it's really, um, you know, smart templating in the education space. So it's not just essays now, it's lab reports and book proposals and all kinds of genres that you might find in a classroom, sort of secondary and post-secondary, so college and university as well as high school. And that's kind of the genesis, big book nerd teacher turns uh, software ed tech co-founder. Okay, I like it. It obviously sounds like you did not have a business or, or technical background. Obviously, we'll get into how you went about breaking those barriers, but it's a bit vague still, the product to me. So immediately I'm envisioning like a Grammarly type thing, um, but it sounds like you're probably not doing that because that's more specific to grammar. Um, can you just like better yeah, sure. define what the core problem that you're, that you're really yeah, solving? So, so, and I'm glad you brought up Grammarly because there are a lot of tools like Grammarly that are really great at helping you fix what you've already written. Uh, mm -hmm. and helping you hone what you've already written. But what is there to help you get your ideas onto a blank page in the first place? And that's mm -hmm. the problem that we're answering. So, you know, to age myself, back in the day when I learned to write, I learned to write, you know, with a pen Library, and paper yeah. and, and outlined. Uh -huh. And then I went to word processing and typed it up. And of course, that's not the world in which we live in now, where where students and writers are confronted with that blank screen to begin with. And acquiring content is easy. So I can do a Google search and I can find out anything I want. I can find out how to build an MVP, how to create a startup. You know, I can also mm -hmm. learn about Macbeth. You know, there are all of those things yeah. that are readily available. But then how do I take that content and put it into a form that is expected of me? And so we're, we're tackling the form in the education space, so essays. So it's really just breaking that essay or that 
piece of academic writing down into its small component parts. So the topic, there are tips and prompts and videos, you know, what do you write in your first sentence? And the second section is provide a little bit of background. What do you write in your mm-hmm. next section? So how much background and there are tips and prompts that kind of walks the writer through wow, and great. as they're going sentence by sentence, they're actually building up that piece of writing. And by the time they're done, so they you're importing content, essentially, are you connecting to like Google and kind of importing? Yeah, so, so okay. I need to bring my content to the platform. Essay Jack is a tool that says, here's where you put your content and how you organize your content in a structured way. Okay, so it's not the actual, if they're writing, say, on Macbeth, it's not bringing in points of, no. which would be more crossing into the plagiarism yeah, lot, right? exactly. Okay, okay. We provide the connecting bits. So again, the metaphor okay. we like to use is scaffolding. So you have the scaffolding to build the building, but eventually the scaffolding falls away and the building stands on its own uh, you know, okay. and lives there forever. And so that's your, your right. essay. Your content, so your building guide. is there but the scaffolding gets you there in a way that's far less painful than trying to build without it. Sure, that makes sense. So how has it been received by the teachers? Uh, obviously, the students would probably love it because it helps, but do you ever find, get comments from the teachers saying, well, this kind of goes away from the way that I like teaching an essay? You know, uh, I'm really glad you asked that because really getting teacher and professor buy-in was one of the first things that we did. So when we had, you know, and we'll, and we'll sort of reverse back to that sort of MVP moment, but the people we wanted to sort of see if they even liked it and if it fit their needs were teachers and professors from the get-go. So do people teach this way? Is it helpful? How do we build a product that is going to be pedagogically sound and that is going to fit with what people do. And what we found is that the teachers and professors are our first early adopters. They're like, yes, this this basically takes what I do in the class. It digitizes it. It puts it on steroids. And then we also had to build in the capacity so that educators can customize it so that say, okay, uh, say as a teacher, they might go, oh, well, the essay jack guidance for topic says, you know, jump right in. What's your topic? Whereas in my class, I say, hook your reader. So I can go in and change that so that the tip that my particular students are going to get will be hook your reader. And so that's where, you know, you've got the essay jack off the shelf, just subscribe and use it as is, mm-hmm. or you can work with teachers and they can customize things. And that's kind of getting to that sweet spot so that you're really adding value as a tool that can be customized, but everybody has a bit of, you know, feature overload, especially right now during the pandemic and tech overload. So if you can provide a solution that can work on its own, um, mm-hmm. then then you also get that buy-in as well. Okay, great. Um, so can you tell me about the sales cycle? Who are you approaching? And is it, is it easier for you to approach like the principal at the school or the you go after the English department or you probably have a uh, sort of two-pronged marketing approach where you can go you mentioned B2C before the show. Uh, can you just tell me about your sales cycle? Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, so it's anything and everything. And so what we found in EdTech sales, which is slightly different from some other software sales, is that there is no one way. So sometimes it's top down. So some organizations and colleges and universities, you go to the administrator, you know, you convince them that it's worth implementing and they may be very sort of dictatorial and they'll implement it and tell their faculty that they have to start using it. Um, More often than not, if you start top down, then the administrators will say, okay, well, let's get some teachers. Let's try it out and see if they're interested. Sometimes you do bottom up where um, because we have B2C sales, so individual student subscribers come on and use SAJAC and we collect data if they are a registered student where they're registered. So then once we get a critical mass at institution A, B, or C, we can go to institution A, B, or C and be like, oh my gosh, you have 50 students who are already using this. We can do a better deal for you with a bulk subscription. And that's kind of that that bottom up. And so we do anything and everything in terms of that sort of get SAJAC in front of people. Some ways in which it works best, to be honest, is as uh, what's called courseware. So courseware is where an individual instructor, you know, finds a software, in this case, EssayJack, and says, you know, yes, this works for me, I want it for my class. And so we'll give the educator their access so that they can customize and everything. 
and create courses and whatever they want. And then the individual students in that class will either pay for SAJAC themselves or the teacher just needs to get funding for a class as opposed to an entire department or faculty or, or institution. Okay, great. And what's the breakdown now in terms of sales uh, for going professors and going right to the uh, top down versus bottom up? Yeah, breakdown. so we don't capture it exactly that way. We sort of capture the percentage based on B2B. So if it's a bulk subscription of some sort uh, versus mm. B2C where it's the individual subscriber. And right now we're still about 80 to 90% bulk subscription with about okay. sort of 10 to 20% the individual subscriber. Okay. And do you use the 80-20 rule to run your sales? I mean, you're not really focusing on the consumers. If they get picked up, that's fine. You'll service them, but you're really, the business is focused on the B2B aspect. Um, it has been sort of typically that's that's right throughout the sort of COVID pandemic, it has kind of changed things. It's it's sort of changed sales cycles, broadly speaking, in the sense that teachers and classes and individual um, student subscribers is where we're seeing the greatest growth right now, because largely there's still a lot of uncertainty when it comes to larger institutions. So there's questions around, uh, will international students be able to travel are there going to be permanent dips in enrollment numbers? What is the blend of um, learning online and in-person going to look like going forward? So there are a lot of uncertainties in terms of institutional budgets for those larger adoptions, which we had traditionally kind of put our energy into. Now we're so saying actually the real growth that we're seeing is with individual teachers and students going even though there's a global pandemic and I may be out of class, I may be doing distance learning, I may be in an entirely different country from where I'm registered, I can make the choice to not have this piece of my learning, this academic writing piece suffer. And so that's kind of where we've been leaning into a bit more um, laterally, mm -hmm. given just the reality of the world in which we live in and how it's changing yeah. education. In general, has COVID been good for you? or It, it has been. So it's been okay. strange. So when yeah. the WHO now a year ago uh, declared the global pandemic and everybody kind of scrambled to get to kind of close down schools and figure out what to do, that was very uncertain for us because we were quite a ways in to a number of different sales engagements with a number of different larger institutions. And all of that came to a screaming halt as these districts mm. and institutions were like, look, okay. we, we cannot commit to a new software right now because right. we just have to figure out. We just what don't know doing. what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so that was really hard. And we had a lot of questions about like, oh my gosh, are we even going to survive? How do we pivot? And then we ultimately made the decision to provide SAJAC for free from March until September of 2020, just to sort of say, like, look, the world is crazy, we can help, and we'll worry about sort of sales and picking up those conversations later. And so that meant a lot of sort of pivoting and rejigging in order to be able to keep the business going for sort of six months um, without revenues we had counted on. And simultaneously, that's when we started to really see that individual consumer number start to pick up and that engagement increase. So now we're in a better position and feel a little bit more confident about some of those decisions we made. But, you know, last year, uh, mid-March, you know, it was frightening times. Yeah, of course, for, for a lot of businesses, yeah. I'm sure yeah. owners listening to the show as well. Okay, so let's go back a little bit in, in time and talk about how you're a teacher um, or professor. Were you at the university level? Or yeah, were... yeah, I was a university okay. professor. Okay. And so um, do you have an even breakout between high school and university? Yeah, Does it yeah matter? we do. It's, it's pretty even. And okay. I had been um, a high school English teacher prior to then going to do graduate okay. school. Okay. And, and even like graduate school too? Do you have graduate students using We do. Well? We do. We have a smaller proportion, but it's a smaller and growing proportion, particularly of master's students. Um, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Like even for like writing dissertations. Yeah. Okay, great. So like, first of all, what's the timeline here? When did you start? Yeah, this? so and again, this is sort of a little bit kind of backwards in the sense that so it was 2015 when we really started building. But as I said, you know, as a as an educator and my co founder as a law professor, we were really coming at this from the let's just build a product 
and we mm -hmm. didn't have a strategic, we are building a business and this product will be the product we bring to market. It was just kind of like, oh my gosh, we need to help students. Let's see if we can build this sort of experimental thing. And so we, you know, friends of friends of friends introduced us to a software developer and we met for dinner and we had like cut out pieces of paper. This and is of, local? You're Canadian, eh? Yeah. And so this is someone that's local to you, say in Toronto. Or we were actually in Asia at the time, and so this is okay. a, a Malaysian developer, and this will become important as I as I go on in the story. Okay. Um. So we we were living in Kuala Lumpur at the time, and we sort of met with this developer, and we sort of slid pieces of paper across the table. And we're like, and you would click this, and this would happen, and you would click this, and to try to describe it. And he said, Oh yeah, yeah, I think you know, I think I get what you're what you're talking about. And he yeah. went away and and built an MVP and came back. And we were like, Oh my gosh, it worked. But then, you know, we know that, okay, it works for us because it came out of our brains. Obviously, it works for us. We, we needed to get it in front yeah. of people who weren't us. And so we went to the local, well, one of the local schools down the road from us, the International School of Kuala Lumpur. And it so mm -hmm. happened that, you know, the grade eight teacher was our downstairs neighbor in the apartment complex we were living in. I had cousins who taught there. So we sort of used some of that relationship equity to just get in the door and say like, can we show this to your students? And so they were kind enough. We showed it to grade eights, grade 11s, grade 12s, and a bunch of different testing scenarios. And that gave us the confidence to then say, okay, maybe we have a thing. And then we came back to Canada and did the same sort of thing with the University of Toronto, where we had both done graduate school and sort of went to some of the professors and were like, can we show this to some of your teachers? And immediately they, they got us in with the associate dean of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences. And she said, sure, let's get it into five classes and we'll see. And then from mm -hmm. there, we, we decided to sort of build up a beta product. And at that point, we actually had that initial software developer who is in Malaysia, because there was a lot of like just institutional knowledge that he had. I mean, granted, you know, we had the code base and, and everything like mm -hmm. that. But in terms of the logic behind the decisions that were made from a coding perspective, there was one person who kind of knew all of that. And so we brought him and he lived in our guest room for four months um, while we also hired an outsourced software team here in Canada to sort of build the beta product and kind of start to transition that knowledge in a, in a more concerted way. Okay, so you brought him over from Kuala Lumpur, yeah. and initially was the idea that you were going to leave academia and create this product, or was the idea that you were going to stay being a professor and use it for your students? Um, you know, it was an open question. We sort of thought, well, maybe it'll just be a website and people can kind of log in um, and use the website. And then what we started to find is that a in terms of developing software there's a cost associated with that and then yeah. b maintaining software and continuing to iterate is also costly so software always changes it's not like say building a hard product like oh okay you know we, we built the mvp of this amazing shoe and then now it's just you know produce the shoe ad infinitum with technology Browsers are always updating, the tech stack is updating, the technologies we use, and so need to be able to have an ongoing tech team just to make the thing that you've built continue to work. And so that was something that as you know, an English professor, I didn't know. I didn't know the way that technology worked uh, from that perspective. And so then we started to realize, well, because we have to outsource that, we have to have people who are doing our stack updates, who are making sure that we have browser and um, device compatibility, people who can answer uh, help desk requests if there's a bug report, things like that. We started to say, okay, well, you know, this was going to run through our savings very quickly. So you need to have a business behind a product. And that was really uh, when we started to think about that a little bit more strategically. And that was 2017, 2018. So a couple of years in that we really started to say, okay, okay, this this thing has legs. It's making money. We have, you know, at that point, I think it was 2,500 active users. We're like, okay, well, that's a lot. Let's, yeah. yeah, it was it was a lot. And so then we started to say, okay, let's let's do that's it. That's a lot. And family. I mean, that shows that it must be priced quite low, though. I would imagine. Yeah, it so was. How did, how did, it, can you go into the pricing? Yeah. So um, in the early days, and so we know we needed to, you know, to price it. And in the early days, we just did nine ninety nine per month 
or $100 per year. And then we did a ton of free giveaways. Per user? Per user on, you, on the user B2C so side. On the bulk okay. adoption side, and again, depending on the size of the institution, you know, you'd be anywhere from sort of $3 to $10 per user per year. So that gives you a sense of that. Oh, per year. Yes. This is $9.99 a year. Is yeah. that right? So okay. $9.99 a month if you're an individual subscriber versus, say, okay. $8 a year if you're part of a bulk license. Say you close a deal with, say, University of Toronto. How many users would be involved in that, like a deal of? Like yeah. That? So typically, some of our bigger adoptions are in the sort of five to eight thousand seat range. Okay. Um, and some of the institutions are bigger. We just haven't done a thirty thousand seat district or anything like that. Most of okay. ours are are sort of in the five to eight thousand are the big. Ones. Okay. So I mean, all it would take is one deal with your you know, some of your colleagues back at the University of Toronto and you're at your 2,500 essentially. Yeah. Okay. How did you fund the MVP? You mentioned you were dipping into savings. Can you go into that? Yeah. So the MVP was a few thousand dollars and that was out of savings. It's really good. Can you tell me why that is? Like, how did you keep that down? Because a lot, I know a lot of founders are like, they want to come out, especially ones that don't have a, a background in technology. They want to come out with something like a really full featured um, SaaS. Like, you know, oh, it's got to have this and this and this. And can you tell me how you kept the cost down? Yeah. And, and you know what? That's a really good question. So one of the things was really keeping that feature creep quite small mm -hmm. for the MVP. So we said, so the core SAJAC product at that point that we were testing was ultimately the sort of pre-structuring essays. So it was mm -hmm. one type of essay. It was, you know, a five paragraph essay. It was very, very basic from a user interface perspective. Real bare and we, bones. And, and... and we didn't have it open. And so that was just kind of, let's test this core kind of product to see if anybody even wants this. And then if they okay. want this, we can get that user feedback of if we were to build this into a beta product, which is sort of the second step we went through, if we were to build it into a beta product, what were the, what are the must haves for you? And so, and then we started mm -hmm. to kind of get a sense for what that would look like. Uh, and again, we did at that point, our beta product was more expensive and I can't remember the exact numbers, but let's say somewhere between 30 and $50,000. And this is Canadian dollars at this point, again, mm -hmm. sort of self-funded in order to get what could be a reasonably commercial beta product. So something you could charge money for and not feel like okay. you're selling snake oil. Okay. So let's say 20,000 us, 25,000 us for, um, it sounds like a little bit more than an MVP, but something that has a payment gateway and yeah. um, and it can maybe even do some reports or something like that. Yeah. And is that the product that you took to the University of Toronto? So we took the MVP to the University of Toronto for that first okay. test with uh -huh. five And classes. they liked it and they were like, that's good. But then they said, "You in order for us to use this, you need to do this, this, yeah, and this? Yeah, is that what it was? So okay. we, we were very clear, okay. like, this is just a kind of proof of concept. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. You know, do you like it? Do you not like it? Does it, you know, increase grades? Not all of those kind of questions. And then we went back with the, the beta product and, again, did testing in a variety of different scenarios with the actual beta product and said, you know, okay, mm -hmm. so now we've got this thing that's a little bit more robust. Does it work? Does it not work? What are some of the still sort of some of the glitches and things like that? And at that point, we also partnered with a national textbook reseller. And, and as textbooks are on the wane, many of the textbook mm -hmm. resellers are getting into digital products or at, at the time, mm -hmm. 2017, getting into digital products quite aggressively. And so we partnered with them and they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll sell across Canada to schools, colleges, and universities. We'll sell the SA Jack product. And that also then gave us visibility into um, how they sold and marketed and how they thought of a product like SA Jack who they were selling to, so writing centers. And interestingly, it was not necessarily the English departments, but other departments, so nursing, midwifery, business. So these courses that had writing components, but weren't right. necessarily staffed with writing experts. And so that, again, was okay. um, market knowledge that 
we hadn't anticipated, we didn't know. And so it was getting sort of salespeople with Nelson Education was our distribution partner at the time across Canada, sort of getting all of that information. And then that's also where we started to learn about learning management systems and institutional adoptions and uh, how you integrate with some of the existing technologies in education spaces. And so that kind of gave us um, footing. And then we rebuilt the product again. So they're, they're, so the product that is live and in the market now is, is actually version three. But, you know, version one was that early MVP. Version two was the beta product. And it was on the back of that beta product that we then did a friends and family raise, which gave us the Oh, you funding. did do that. We okay. did. We did. So and that how was, much did you raise? So uh, we raised with the... 340,000 USD or about 500,000 Canadian. That's friends and family. Yeah. Really? That's good. So how many people were involved with that? Uh, it was, there's eight. And how was that? How difficult was that for you to do? It was interesting. So the first, probably the first half of it was quite um, easy or even about the first three quarters of it, it was pretty easy. We had, you know, some great friends who from the early days had said, like, when you're ready to take investment, you know, sign me up, we're, we're interested. And they have been our earliest sort of champions and helpers and advisors along the way. And some of them are educators and some of them come from finance or sales. And so they really kind of see what we're trying to do and, and add value there as advisors as well as sort of champions mm, and investors. Okay. And then it was the last bit um, that, you know, we had not wanted to oversubscribe to. And so we had people wanting to put in more or, and we had really wanted to keep things a bit tight at that point. So then the final sort of tranche, uh, we ended up getting a few more people join in um, for smaller amounts each, as opposed to a larger amount all at once. And most of those folks do work in private equity for their job jobs. So I know that they kind of have their eye on our growth. So when we get to a size and scale that they and their funds might be interested in, they at least already have visibility into what we're doing. At, yeah. least, at least that's what I think okay. they're doing. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds good. So it's sort of like testing the waters uh, yeah. when you get to the point where they can actually... Um, you know, contribute and to the direction of the company, and it's not yeah. so risky for them. That has to be at a certain level of of monthly. And to be fair to them, so I'm, uh, you know, as you can probably tell in this interview, like I'm a passionate educator. I care about writing. There are things that I I'm very good at, uh, mm -hmm. but I didn't have experience being a, a tech CEO before. Right. And so I think, rightly so. Um, even for us, that's partly why we took on some of that early risk ourselves, sort of recognizing mm -hmm. that yeah. if you know that partly along the way it's a learning process because you haven't um, built and sold five tech companies at this point, but this is your first, I felt sort of ethically and morally that it made sense to take on some of that risk ourselves and then invite other people in as opposed right. to starting with an idea um, uh -huh. and and right and you're going to get a better deal anyway if they see that you've got some traction yeah it's going to be a lot harder to go out and, and ra do a raise if you're you're at an idea phase as you say when yeah. you already got the buy-in from university of toronto yeah. and uh that's easier how did you structure the um the funds was it priced equity or? Yeah, yeah. Or so that's also another really good question because we had a lot of, you know, do you want to do safes? Do you want to do convertible notes? Do you want all of that in the early days? And we just yeah. said, you know what, we're going to do a straight up priced equity round. We all have common shares. So uh, my co-founder and I still have 80%. It went 10% to the friends and family. So sort of like a 3.4 million USD valuation mm -hmm. at that early stage. Mm -hmm. And then we reserve 10% for an employee stock option plan. And then as the majority shareholders, you know, if we need to, if we need to adjust that at some future point, you know, we can, we can always do that. You could do that. Okay. That's a good valuation for, for where you were at though. Yeah. Were, yeah. Were it was, happy? it was, it was very good. Uh, it was a, probably if I were to do it over again, I might even change that valuation and go in a little bit lower. So, you know, they, they'd get a bit of a bigger piece of the pie, um, but. You know. That's interesting. Usually you hear it the other way. People yeah. are wanting to give up less equity. Um, 
Why is that? Because you wanted them to take on more ownership and responsibility? Um, More just that I want to make sure that when we get to the next investment round, which will invite, um, Mm -hmm. basically invite strangers in, so invite institutional investors, I want to ensure that those people who are there from the early days supporting us um, are taken care of, Mm -hmm. at least as well as new stranger investors. So I I don't want to end up um, giving a better deal to new folks coming in than the original champions got. Okay. So, so making sure that we have the ability to to adjust things if need be, even if that means you know that I end up diluting myself a little bit more to make sure that they're adequately taken care of. Okay, well, you sound like an ideal founder <laughs> or investors. That's good to hear. Okay, so let's go back to the MVP you've launched. When did you, um, when did you sort of realize that you needed the funds and at what cash flow were you, or what sort of uh, monthly revenues were you at when you realized that you needed money? Yeah. So we were probably, um, just under about 5,000 monthly recurring revenue. I mean, it fluctuates a little bit in the sense that, um, depending on, the time of year, certain people are writing more than sure. at other times of the year. And this is about 2017 Yeah, still? so 2017 into 2018. And you had left being a teacher. You were no yeah. longer, you're doing yeah. this. So I was and doing this for free, yeah, full time. Okay. So there was no, I, I had no salary on the books or anything like that. Um, luckily, my... How were you funding your lifestyle then? Do so you I, have have a, a I have a spouse. Uh, and okay. my, my spouse has a job. Okay. So that, you know, I basically made the choice to do the riskier thing uh, with my sort of profession and finances and then, you know, cover off the fixed costs with the stable job. um, Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And your other co-founder, were they in the same position? So so my other co-founder is my spouse. And so, ah, okay. So, all right. Okay. So he, he had a full-time job. So you made an agreement. Okay. I'll do the full-time job. We'll fund our lifestyle and you, you'll go out and start this and we won't pay you. Is yeah. that essentially yeah, what? Exactly. And then the other benefit, as I say, he's a law professor. And so there's a lot of market intelligence that he's getting from his full-time job. So it's not like his, his full-time okay. job is in an entirely unrelated field. He's got his finger on the pulse of what's happening in education. And then it also, you know, allows... Do you find that the product works also for like sort of professionals? I mean, you know, could you do like a a legal brief? Do you have a format for a legal brief? Yeah, so this is now, we're just at the point where we're opening up for that external fundraise. And we're now at the point where we can say, okay, we can move beyond um, the education space. The platform has sort of been tested out in this space that we're familiar with, but mm-hmm. it's now infinitely scalable and it can be expanded to any and all other genres. Like I don't have the capacity in terms of the content knowledge for all the different types of business right. writing components or government writing or things or technical writing. Um, but that's just a matter of sort of hiring in that expertise because the platform itself can be customized for any other piece of writing at this point. And so, so yeah, I think we're poised to make that step into other niches, which is kind of an exciting and overwhelming time. Okay. And so um, would you say that it seems to me like the education space is huge, right? So, I mean, you're mostly going to focus on that. Do you feel like maybe it's a distraction to be going outside of your core um, niche? Yeah. So, so right now, yes, it would be a distraction and it would kind of pull our attention away. So the, you know, the education and particularly if you're looking at English language writing, so English language writing, so people who are enrolled in English language programs in high school, college or university globally, there's 280 million of them. Now, granted, that includes India, which is a big market, but it doesn't include China even. Then if you say, okay, so maybe let's not confound things by looking at markets that can be hard to penetrate from a financial perspective. So India is a very complex market to get into. It's a very big one, but it's very complex. Mm -hmm. So let's say you go, all right, let's look at the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. So they're English Mm -hmm. language. They all have the kind of writing that SA Jack is best suited to in its current format. There are still 63 million students who are 
in secondary and post-secondary. So that alone, and again, we're talking like sort of a relatively high GDP in terms of parents spending money on supplementary education, whether it's tutoring hours or whether it's additional software, those uh, jurisdictions are ones where the market is actually quite big and we can make a really sort of big and helpful difference there. So that's our focus right now. Um, but it is good to know that it's not yeah, what we've created isn't a one trick pony that stops in education. It can it can go into everything. Uh-huh. And how is the competition? When you came out, there was nothing else that did this. Yeah, there was nothing else that did exactly this. Um, mm-hmm. And we have our formal patent that's been issued in the U.S. We have various different sort of patents pending for the SAJAC type platform throughout okay. different jurisdictions. And there still isn't something that's doing exactly what we're doing. There are a couple of other sort of related products. But I think in the ed tech space and the English language writing space, text editing is where the competition is really quite high. So whether it's, um, you know, Google Docs getting into having their own inline text editing, Grammarly, Hemingway, there are a lot of these sort of apps that are able to provide certain kinds of predictive text and refinement. Mm-hmm. But the structuring element still seems to be one that, as I say, book nerds like me know about uh-huh. and care about, but it doesn't seem to be the arena um, that is overly crowded at this point. Okay. Do you find some of your uh, clients would actually use, say, Grammarly and SAJAC? Yeah, yeah. So we, so we, okay. the SAJAC platform as a browser based platform works with the Grammarly extension. So if you already okay. have Grammarly um, as sort of a okay, Chrome so extension, can, so, okay. it'll work. It'll work with you. And then we do have some built in grammar and text okay. editing. Uh, abilities within the SAJAC platform itself. Okay, great. And so tell me what was some of the early growth marketing channels that you, that you found were successful? You mentioned the partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you meet them? Is that sort of like a trade event or um, how did you find yeah, them? Yeah. So this is where things are, are really interesting in the sense that and again, because especially in the early days, um, you know, it was all self-funded. And so we got really good at like, what are the cheapest things we can do to get attention? Uh, mm-hmm. And so one of those, you know, again, as I say, I'm myself as a lifelong educator and lifelong writer, I was writing blog posts and guest posts. And it was a guest post called From Tenure Track to Essay Jack, where I was essentially mm-hmm. just very briefly telling the story of leaving you know, the kind of job for life that a tenure track professorship is, it's the sort of once you're locked in, you have it forever, sort of leaving that very secure position for the very insecure life of startup founder. Um, And so it was that blog that was really kind of just and it was the guest post for an external publication. And then the editor of this of Nelson education at the time she was the editor of their English division she had read that and she also had had a PhD in English and then she went the publishing route not the academic route but I guess there was enough in it that sort of um, spoke to her so she called me up and said you know we're actually looking for digital products to partner with can we meet you know can you come in and do a demo mm-hmm. for the team and you know we'll see if if something can come from this so it was that kind of just telling our story publicly that then brought in that first partnership. And that was really helpful. And then as I then, you know, let's speed up and and look at sort of things during COVID and a chunk of time with sort of no revenues and how do you sort of figure out how to grow. And then suddenly as well, the online learning space is ever more crowded as everybody on the one hand, it's great because everybody's scrambling for online tools, but at the same time, it's hard to make your, solution rise above the noise, um, particularly Mm -hmm. if you're trying to do it cheaply. And so our team, we said, okay, well, look, in this time where our pocketbooks have to be closed, what we can make sure that we do is offer real value. So let's make sure that our videos and our blogs and our content strategy is providing real value. And so even if people don't sign up for the SAJAC platform, they're engaging with our content and we're demonstrating that there's real value around language learning that that we and our team can provide. And it was through that strategy that we then actually started to grow 
that user base on the B2C side. So people started to engage with our content and our blogs and videos. And that definitely helped. So that helped in terms of the broad, diffuse kind of marketing um, strategy, eyeballs to website kind of thing. Okay, so so would you say that from zero to 5,000 really was was from your sort of almost inside of your own network is basically university of toronto right yeah Yeah. so it was uh, i think there were five different uh institutions at that point so okay but that was from you going out and that was absolutely uh, so that was networking you got to zero to five thousand from that would you say nelson got you from five to ten thousand yeah you say that was sort of the next big piece of the puzzle once you got those it sounds like churn wasn't really an issue for you because you're which is, you know, huge. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, so churn at the institutional level isn't really a huge problem in the sense that... Because it's so, it's such a well, you know, priced product. Yeah, it's a well-priced product. It does what it's supposed to do. And we try to really um, work with the institutions to keep it low-priced so that they can say, yeah. okay, well, it's cheaper to just get a site-wide or a, a department-wide license. And then people can use it or not as they, as they mm-hmm. see fit. Um, and that seems to work as opposed to saying, okay, let's do a big like multi-million dollar adoption in which case you also have to like justify usage in really interesting ways at the institutional level. Whereas for SAJAC, SAJAC helps with learning outcomes. It helps students to get better grades. It helps them to write more quickly and it helps to reduce writing anxiety. And a huge portion of the student writing population will need help with those with those three things. But some don't. And it's very hard to allocate sort of an ROI to a specific learning outcome. So what is going to make a huge difference in one student's life as they are suddenly writing instead of that kind of middling B range, they're suddenly up in the A range or the student because is, of that product because of the you, product. I mean, you can definitively say that listen before they started using SA Jack they were at a B now they're at A and it, it's yeah. attributed to this yeah. product that must be make it a pretty easy sale then well if you have yes, some stats like uh, that it does but it's interesting so educational sales are kind of different again than than traditional sales in the sense that So if we can say, okay, here are all the studies and white papers and um, articles demonstrating the efficacy of SAJAC in all of these different contexts, a school leader will still say, okay, but who's using it at my school and does it make a difference to my students? Uh, And so you then kind of have to restart that process in each institution. Um, And, you know, fair enough, because not all institutions, not all schools, not all colleges, not all student bodies are created the same. And so the particular needs at a particular location may be specific to them. So often we'll do, okay, here, we'll give you a one month free trial in that one month. Like it is up to you to actually use it, you know, cause you can have your one month free trial. And if you don't have the students do a writing assignment in that month, then, you know, you as the educator are never going to know if it does what you want it to do. And then mm-hmm. uh, after sort of doing that one month free trial, the sales process is, is relatively straightforward. I mean, once people sort of see it in action, okay. it answers a lot of the questions that they might have in advance. Right. Okay. So as I understand, then you went with the sort of, sort of personal networking yeah. to partnerships, and then you went to content, content marketing, yeah. essentially. Yeah. That's been your biggest channel. Yeah. Yeah. Any paid traffic uh, strategies? Uh, we experimented a little bit with paid traffic, and partly that experimentation uh, demonstrated to us that what was important was to get the organic content strategy a little bit more refined so that we'd mm-hmm. be putting money towards the content that is already high-performing. So put money behind things that already work as opposed to sort of a splatter gun approach, which is what we had done previously. And we did bring more eyeballs to the SAJAC website and more free trial signups, but they weren't the right um, users. So we would have people who would sign up for a free trial and they'd be like, you know, write my essay for me. And I'm like, oh, that's exactly the thing oh, that we don't do. We don't sort yeah, of support okay. plagiarism. But yeah. somehow because 
of the keywords we were using, you know, essay help, essay writing, we were okay. ultimately getting in front of the people who weren't motivated to learn the skill themselves, but were motivated to get us to do the work for them. Right, right. Okay, I see. So would you say that the um, the content marketing is the one that's worked the best for you? Is that what you, you sort of, you'll broaden that? Uh, in terms of your marketing budget? Yeah, and we so we do have other distribution partners in other jurisdictions now. Um, and one of our partners in Japan, this is a new distribution partner, and they've just secured our first license um, at a university in Japan, which is exciting, uh, exciting for us. And they've kind of managed that entirely. So it's an English language mm. program housed within a Japanese language um, university, which is okay. which is pretty exciting. Is that like an affiliate is affiliate relationship then? So is they essentially with them work it's on a commission straight up or distribution, how does it work? like it's a revenue share distribution partnership. So they okay. sell and then and then we split the revenues. They get a commission and we get uh, a piece of that particular sale. We do have affiliates, and that's where we're really growing that piece of the marketing uh, and sales. Is to say, okay, there are a lot of people right now who have really big following in education. So there are like some superstar mm-hmm. teachers, there are some fantastic sort of famous people in the education space. And let's get them on board as SA Jack champions. And we now have sort of an affiliate code and, and a way of. And how has that been? I mean, what's the breakdown for your marketing? It sounds like uh, organic is your biggest. Yeah. So organic or, and is then the would biggest. You say, um, and then you say partners. And then partners. And now affiliates, which we've just rolled out in 2021. So it's kind of too early so to just say. Going. But that's where, you know, according to our, our business proposal and business modeling, really the, the affiliate marketing is where we can see the greatest growth. But I will say now that we've learned a lot of lessons with distribution partners, I feel more confident about building up our own sales team. Like right now, our sales team is still me. And and then okay. and then I work with our distribution partners. But now that I have a better sense of what the various distribution partners have done, how they sell, how they market, how they get SA Jack in front of various different end users, I can now say, okay, I, I know how to hire and onboard a sales team in this in this context now and how to direct them. And that was really... In the early days, that was the sticking point because I knew I knew how to sell SA Jack because I love it and I think it's yeah. amazing. Um, but I yeah. wasn't sure how to structure a sales team and a sales department. That was again one of those pieces um, that I had to learn. Okay, so so tell me about this um, additional raise that you're doing. Um, first of all, why are you doing it? And secondly, like how much are you looking for and yeah, what do you hope so, to gain out of it? So right now we're hoping to raise $2 million USD and we're hoping to close that um, this quarter. And really it's for growth. So ultimately, And how is that looking? Are you confident? You I am, so right it? now I'm pretty confident. So we, we don't have any firm yeses. We have a lot of very warm... You know, did you uh, go guy. back to some of those original private equity guys? Um, we have, we have, and mm-hmm. the way that we're sort of structuring it is, we really want to hit on the lead investor. So we have a lot of um, people who have said, once you get your lead investor, we're happy to join in. And so now all my time and energy is taken with sort of trying to convince, particularly a great ed tech investment firm, to sort of come on board and say, you know, okay. yeah, we'll be the lead. And we'll set the terms and then everybody else can kind of follow along. Okay. And what is the plans for um, that $2 million? Like, is there burn rate now? Or are you cash flow sort of positive? No. Or so we're not at? cash flow positive yet. And hopefully this growth will get us there. Because ultimately we're earmarking this spend straight into sales and marketing so that we can Instead of Grow, instead of spending growth. everything on, you know, having a tech team and sort of building yeah. the platform and sort of solving all of the R&D issues to actually be able to say, OK, let's get some genuine sort of marketing help in there. Let's get some sales help and then let's let's grow like I'm very proud to go to investors with our plan, because instead of asking investors to invest in an experimental product, their money just goes directly into growth. Right. So if Which is I were probably what an they investor, like to hear, right? right? That's yeah, what they yeah. want to hear. Yeah. Right. And so you've got the core base of the program working. You're exactly. not having to pour money into that. Is the original developer still with you? 
Uh, no, not anymore. He sort of moved on. But the team that he sort of transitioned in uh, to, to take there. over is, is still the team that we work with. Okay. And so we've been now with that team since... 2016 so and and again i'm very confident now myself even with my own technical knowledge in terms of you know not only our code base but all the third-party softwares we have plugged in and our whole process of software development everything from bug fixes to updates to new features Uh, whereas at the beginning it was a giant sort of black hole of of confusion for me right that makes sense that's very good. Well, we're getting close to the end of our agreed upon time. So I want to thank you so much for your time. It sounds like you're on to a great product and project. I wish you all the success. We look forward to keeping in touch with you. Any additional thoughts for any of our listeners who may be interested in the space? Can they reach out to you? How could they? I would definitely be encouraging. Like I think there are a lot of people who, you know, you just kind of have to take the first step and see where it takes you. And then at each step, know whether or not if you hit that milestone, whether you'll keep going forward or whether you'll stop. So for us, it was, you know, with that early MVP, if nobody wanted it, uh, we would have stopped at that point and said, you know, okay, well, that was yeah. a few thousand dollars. That's but, you right. Know. There was definitely phases that you yeah. did. It was very calculated, I think, which is very, you know, astute of, uh, you know, not having a business, a technical background that you managed to navigate those. Because as I mentioned, a lot of people want to come out, new founders, they're all excited, but they... They tend to come out with too heavy of, of of a product in the beginning and don't get the user feedback. Yeah. So I always encourage builders, you know, any founders, it's like, let's slim this down as much as we, sounds like to, a proof of concept, really, like you had it. Yeah. And then let the users tell us what they want, which is what you did. Eh? And even still, I, you know, we're, I always still think that we're in product development mode, like I feel mm-hmm. this new investment raise is kind of our first foray into commercialization, even though that's not true. I mean, we are selling and we, we have a product, but I still feel like every user we have now is helping us to make the product better because we are getting that feedback, you know, what works, what doesn't. And now we're tracking as well, you know, where do people drop off? Where do they, you know, so we can continually make those those refinements because you're 100% correct. It's I mean, if you build the greatest thing ever and nobody wants it, that's right. Then it's kind of a wasted effort. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lindy. It looks like if anyone wants to reach you, they just go to SAJack, right? SAJack.com or, you know, Lindy Letahowski. I'm on LinkedIn or Dr. Lindy on Twitter if you want to find me there. We'll definitely be following you. Thanks so much, Lindy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner.